Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Today it's mailbag time. We answer questions to the best of our ability and discuss all the ins and outs of what was a pretty exciting season. All of this, and that's it really, in this week's edition of the and Honey. Uh, hello, dear listener. Thank you so much for tuning in again, uh, especially if you are a supporter. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, if you haven't yet become a member of the Beer and Honey Supporters Club, please consider it. You can become a member or you can become even an ultra and get a super duper Beer and Honey special edition, limited edition, world exclusive <laughs> mug <laughs> as a token of our appreciation. I'm Rafael Honigstein. And I'm Christoph Biermann. And let's start with this edition of the Mailback Questions. And it's a holiday special of sorts because you are in sunny Greece. Hello. Hello. And it's, as expected, sunny. <laughs> very, and, uh, very happy for you. Yeah, but um, uh, still, uh, I'm also happy uh, in holidays um, to to join this mailbag. And, and I think we should start uh, with uh, what Peter Sharnand wrote uh, to us. He was saying, hi, chaps, loving the podcast so far and fingers crossed it will be making its return next season. Yeah. Uh, we are, so we 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 would all like we would uh, encourage you all. No, we would like to encourage you all to sign in as a supporter or even an ultra and um, meet our target. Um, but here's uh, Pete's question. My question for the Q and A pod is actually a team of the season question. I'd like to see your team of the season, but with a couple of Caveats. You cannot pick any player from Bayern or Dortmund, and you can only pick one player per team. Here's my team. Might be a little uh, bit forced with Füllkrug and Kunku and Randall Kolumuani all in the same time, but we'll just uh, outscore the opposition every game. So his team is Riemann, Frimpong, Knoche, Ginter, Sosa, Hofmann, Stach, Skiri, Kolumuani, Füllkrug and Nkunku. But, Raphael, who is in your team? Who is in your uh, very special 11 of the season? So, um, this was difficult. More difficult than, than it sounds because not just uh, no Bayern and Dortmund players, but only one player from every side. So, you can't just stock up on Leipzig and Leverkusen uh, players, and you're forced to go a little bit deeper down the table. Um, maybe we'll take a turn by turn. Who do you have in goal, Christoph? Uh, in, in goal, I have Mark Flecken from Freiburg, who will be joining uh, Brentford next season. I think he was outstanding in goal, probably even the best goalkeeper together with Gregor Kobel from Borussia Dortmund. And on the bench... Uh, I, so my second option is uh, Frederik Rönneau from uh, Union Berlin, who also played a fantastic season. And um, although he is a kind of goalkeeper that is um, unheralded because, um, yeah, he, he isn't he, he in his game. There's nothing spectacular, but that's also true for Mark Flecken. So. Uh, both um, very rounded goalkeepers that played a fantastic season for two of the most sensational teams of the season. But but who's in goal with with the, uh, at your team? I've got Rafael Gikiewicz in goal. Ah, yeah. Um, I don't want to say because I needed an Augsburg player, <laughs> but that did play a role in the decision making but perhaps more importantly because I needed another Freiburg player in my uh, 11 in the center back positions and that was Matthias Ginter that's why I couldn't take Flecken Flecken and goal who's your okay I tell you my two center back pairings 
It's um, Matthias Ginter and Mickey van der Feen from Wolfsburg. Um, and mine is also Mickey van der Feen from Wolfsburg and Robin Knoche from uh, Union Berlin. I, I was a bit tempted uh, to choose Geraldo Becker from, from Union because he uh, was also outstanding uh, this season. And as we say in German, so another expression of learning Fußball Deutsch. Learning Fußball Deutsch with beer and honey. The so-called Unterschiedsspieler the player who makes uh, the difference. Um, but but also uh, Robin Knoche was an Unterschiedsspieler for, um, <clears throat> for Union, uh, one of the backbones of the defense. And, um, and Mickey van der Veen, um, um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, no, no, no surprise that a lot of international top clubs are now interested in, in, in buying him probably already this summer. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I realized, uh, Christoph, that there's a real problem finding right backs. There seem to be good left backs in the league. I had like a whole short list of left backs I could have put in, but right backs was really, really hard. Unless you play three at the back, I don't know what your formation is, but I'm playing with four, old school. So on the left, I've got uh, Anthony Cassi from Mainz, from Mainz. And on the right, I have Benno Schmitz of Köln. Ah, okay. Um, I, I, I have in my, I think I tweaked it a bit, but I have Jeremy Frimpong and Jonas Hector in, in, in my team. And um, I think uh, Frimpong was probably the best player for, from Leverkusen. Later on, Florian Wills was, was coming in. But when you look over the whole season, he, he was outstanding. And Jonas Hector, we have been talking about him um, when, when we uh, talked about his, uh, at the end of his career. I think he was still the, not the, probably not the, spectacularly best player for Cologne. We could have mentioned Skiri, for example, in uh, in midfield and, and others, but I think he was the most important, most influential player for the team. So therefore, I have Jonas Hector in my team. Yeah, some people might call it a political choice. Okay, why? Or choice for the narrative. But yeah, I can understand why you, why you picked him. Um, Okay, for midfield, I'm playing an old-school diamond formation. And I have, well, no, no not so much a diamond. I have a 2-2-2-2 a, a two, 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 two formation, uh, not so old-school. In fact, quite uh, quite progressive. I give you my, my four players. Um, up front, the two more attacking players, Florian Witz and Daichi Kamada. And behind them... Rani Kedira and Konrad Leimer. Okay, great choice. So that means you left out in Kunku because you had Konrad Leimer in. Ah, that's that's interesting. Um, I I went for a four-three-three formation and uh, uh, a, a bit like uh, Pete suggested. Uh, putting up a lot of uh, spectacular players up front and hope the uh, midfield and the defense will, will uh, can protect them. So um, in my three-man uh, midfield, and I, I, I would have doubts if it actually would work, but, but let's see. Uh, I have Anthony Lucia uh, from Bochum. I mean, that is... Partly for sentimental reasons, but partly also because he, he was the most important player for this Bochum team this season, helping them to stay in the, in the Bundesliga, being a 37 year old captain of the team and uh, being the man who who, who kept the team together. I, I had the chance to talk to Thomas Letch the other week and I was talking to him and he was saying, ah, 
I'm not so, such a big fan of, of talking about the most important player and so on, because every player is important. But in this case, he, he said that, um, yeah, he, he would go for Anthony, uh, Anthony Lucia as his MVP for the season. Uh, Vaturo Endo is, is also there. I, I think he was uh, just amazing uh, in this uh, Uh, Stuttgart team that had a very difficult season and um, and my third man in midfield is Jonas Hoffmann from um, Borussia Mönchengladbach maybe the only player who played a real good season uh, for this uh, for this team that were the I don't know underachiever or, or whatever um, but the probably the biggest disappointment or the team that frustrated their supporters most. So Jonas Hoffmann, Anthony Lozia and Vaturo Endo. Yeah, I see I had, I had Endo as well, but I needed a Stuttgart player up front ah. because I didn't have Nkunku up front. So it's just this domino effect. Uh, I have Girassi and Phil Krug up front, which I think in real life would make for an amazing partnership. I, I I told you uh, I have three up front, and I I would con would say that your formation actually would work better than mine, because I I, I have my doubts how uh, Christopher Nkunku, Randall Kolomuani, and Niklas Füllkrug would actually play together. I mean, they are all great players, so so probably uh, they would find a way. Um, Maybe it could be a formation with. Uh, I mean, Kolumuani is 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 very good in in setting up chances for others. So he is not this kind of traditional number nine. I think we would give this role to uh, to Füllkrug, and then we would have uh, Kolumuani and, and and Kunku play around uh, him. And I think that would make. Yeah, probably that would be a. Um, a very impressive uh, um, uh, front line to, to for, for any opponent. Yeah, a lot of firepower there. So let, let's just recap to remind uh, the listeners. So my 11 of the year, minus Dortmund, minus Bayern, is Rafael Gikiewicz, Benno Schmidt, Matthias Ginter, Mickey van der Feen, Anthony Gassi, Daichi Kamada, Rani Kedira, Conny Leimer, Florian Wirtz and... Serugerasi and Niklas Füllkrug. So, and my 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 team is Fleckeningol, Frimpong, Van der Feen, Knoche, Hector, uh, the four in the back, Lucia, Endo und Hoffmann in midfield, and Füllkrug, Kolomuani, and Unkunku up front. Nice. Very <laughs> nice. Very nice. Lots of talent there. Let's uh, hope that they will stick around for next season, most of them. As you said, Mickey van der Feen has already a lot of interest. Niklas Füllkrug might leave Werder Bremen, but I guess he would leave to another German team. And luckily, Florian Witz is going to be around for a little bit longer, I think, for uh, Leverkusen and the sake of the league. Okay, let's move on to another question from one of our listeners. And we have Elton Shaker. Uh, good name, via Twitter, asking, does the Bundesliga need to open up to more foreign managers? How does the league combat the Bayern domestic dominance? Okay, these are the two questions in one, maybe. Uh, Christoph, let's start with the second one. How does the league combat the Bayern domestic dominance? It's, it's something that we've been talking about since the birth <laughs> of... of um, and Honey, and indeed its predecessor, Stahlkast. Uh, but does the Bundesliga combat the dominance of Bayern? I think it doesn't. I, I, there is no, I mean, um, there is no plan, no discussion about uh, There is a discussion about it, but without any consequences, because everybody has a feeling that nothing, nothing can be, uh, nothing can be done. Or, or, or did, did I miss anything here? No, the question is is really what can be done. I guess that's that's what Elton is really asking. Is there something to be done? It's a question of uh, how you distribute the wealth of the Bundesliga. 
Um, but the, it, it's not only the Bundesliga. I mean, we have a, the system in, in Germany that um, favored the big clubs when it comes to distribution of the revenue of the Bundesliga. But the, the real gap comes from international money. Same, that's the same as in, um, in, in, in other countries as well. So um, uh, the clubs that constantly qualify for the Champions League have a huge advantage uh, above the others. And um, yeah, so it's um, it, this system is, is uh, wrong. And uh, we talked about it and the, the system should be changed. But um, I don't have any idea how, how to do it because it needed to be radical and uh, and I don't see anyone who is favoring this uh, radical solution. Mm, okay, uh, maybe less radical solution, bring in more foreign managers, uh, preferably not to buy in. Could that, <laughs> could that help? <laughs> I, I, I looked up how many foreign managers uh, we will have in the Bundesliga next season. Um, and it's interesting because we have um, uh, one Two Swiss coaches, Urs Fischer at uh, Union Berlin and Gerard Seoane, who is also Swiss, um, at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, Pellegrino Matorazzo, who is American, um, but, but uh, of Italian descent. And I think he's also holding Italian passport. Um, there is a Dane, Bo Svensson at Mainz. And I think even Niko Kovac uh, is technically Croatian, uh, but he was uh, born in Berlin and brought up in, in Berlin. Um, so so it's, it's five. And um, most importantly, um, and, and Xabi Alonso, I forgot. So he's uh, the six. And Xabi Alonso is the only um, of these coaches who, I mean, he... He tries to speak German, but I, I think it's still very limited. And, uh, and I would guess if he's talking to his team, uh, he mostly speaks in, in, uh, in English or in Spanish or, or whatever with the uh, Spanish-speaking um, uh, players. Um, and I think this shows the direction. Um, uh, Bundesliga clubs um, seem to be reluctant to sign coaches that don't speak German. And I think uh, they are missing out something. Um, I think it would be actually good to have uh, coaches from, from other countries, from other backgrounds, even if they don't speak German. Or what do you think, Rafael? I think it would be very good. Unfortunately, the Bundesliga, I think, with the structure that it has, where sporting directors tend to be the powerful figures, I think there's there's a reluctance to bring in somebody who speaks a different language, who has a different culture, and who then maybe brings their own people from those different cultures with them as a assistant coach, um, goalkeeping coach, physio, whatever. These um, there's a fear of of a loss of control when this happens, and a big reluctance, and therefore I think it's very hard also for foreign managers to come in because they will not have the the power base, the support that they perhaps need in a in a foreign environment in a different language. So it's a self perpetuating isolationism that I see in the Bundesliga which makes them fish in a very small pond. They have to be uh, German-speaking. Uh, that includes the Austrians, the Swiss, the odd German-American, as in Matarazzo, but it doesn't really leave you uh, with a lot of fresh blood. And maybe it'd be nice to see things change, but I don't know how they will, uh, unless more clubs want to change. I think the problem is that they also take their cue from Bayern, uh, Bayern and Dortmund have basically made an unofficial decision that they only want German-speaking managers after their mixed experiences in the past. I'm thinking of Nevio Scala and Giovanni Trapattoni and uh, even Pep Guardiola. The football was great, but there were difficulties at board level. And if those two clubs don't do it, then I think everyone else is thinking, well, we can't do a diva. So it's a bit of a shame, but that's where we are. So that leaves the German-speaking nations. Um, 
certainly Switzerland, Austria, but we can also include uh, Denmark, where most people speak good German, and of course the Dutch, who have, without looking up, I'm sure supplied the most number of foreign coaches in, in the Bundesliga history, certainly in recent years. Christoph, you're shaking your head. Who do you think might be ahead of them? The, the Austrians? Yes, uh, I would guess the Austrians. Um, uh, we, we, we look it up and, and, and then that... Uh, then tell you, but there is a question connected to it. Um, I think it is a um, it's it's uh, um, maybe some days old when I read it. What what next for Alonso? Does a trophy with Leverkusen, as we know, he didn't win a trophy, and the Champions League? Uh, or, or probably not. Um, so, so here's a question re, uh, related to that. What next for Alonso? Does a trophy with Leverkusen and the Champions League finish next year in the midst of a rebuild qualify him for one of the world's top jobs? Liverpool after the club project runs its course, Madrid post Ancelotti. What do you think? Is he, is he in a year or so? Is he ready for the big step for the for the big clubs, or do you think he needs more time to gather more experience? I think he is ready. I think the more experience he'll have, the the readier it will be. He will be, but it seems to me that he was already ready for the Leverkusen job after very minimal experience before, and his season and the way he conducts himself, uh, trains the team suggests to me that he in a year's time would be ready and it's going to be interesting if in a year's time the kind of spaces open up that will tempt him or if it doesn't align with you know the other comings and goings in the relevant clubs if he'll maybe stay i think the longer he'll stay the better he'll be as a coach and the more ready he'll be um, I always think back to, to Klopp, who spent seven years at Mainz, even though he could have gone earlier. He spent seven years at Dortmund. He certainly could have gone earlier. But I think the fact that he stayed so long at clubs that work is one of the factors why he's never been fired and tends to stick around because he doesn't make quick decisions. He learns from, from all the up and downs that occur. occur and... I think Alonso will be able to do the same and he's going to be a fantastic manager. Certainly, offers will come in next season, I'm sure. I guess um, my impression of him is that he is a very... Um, that he is he's really trying to build a career um, with a, uh, and that he seems to have a kind of long-term plan. And I, I think he's patient enough to know that exactly what you are saying, the longer he stays in one of these sub-top clubs where he can learn. And, 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 uh, and Bayer Leverkusen also is not a very stormy club. So if things uh, don't, go, uh, don't go well, uh, there is not huge criticism and outrage and, and so on. And um, so, so my, my feeling is that he probably stays a bit longer there. Or even if he would leave, he, he would take a step in between these top, top clubs and, uh, and Leverkusen, whatever that might be. Uh, one of the bigger clubs in in the Premier League, but not not one of the top five or so. But let's see, uh, let's see. We we don't know what his plans are, um, but uh, we know for sure that we can expect a lot from him next season at Leverkusen. So, what else do we have? Um, maybe we jump from from the top to the bottom. Apana Mishra wrote, um, how difficult will it be for Schalke to go down twice now in three years? Could we also get some insights on the club that will be promoted to the Bundesliga? Thank you both. So let's start with Schalke. I, I'm not sure about Schalke. I think Thomas Reis is a good manager. So that's definitely in the pro category. I think that 
Schalke as a club seem more settled and happy with each other than than they have done in a long time. So that's another big plus. Is the team good enough to go up again? I'm not 100% sure. But they will definitely be in with the mix. So I would give it a 60-40 shot that they'll go up. What do you think? I, I think it's 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 really difficult to say anything about them right now because right now they don't seem to have a team. Uh, I mean, a lot of players that were there on loan um, uh, have gone. Um, and that's sure. Probably they need to uh, sell a player like Marius Bülter, who was their top scorer last season. There is interest from Hoffenheim. And um, so I'm, 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 I'm really... In, uh, uh, interested how how they um what kind of team they will be able to build for for next season andre hechelmann who used to be a chef scout he is no sporting director he knows the club he knows what the team needs and so on but i think there is still a, 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 he needs to build a team i agree with you on thomas reis but um, Axel Hefer, who is the uh, head of the advisory board, said some weeks ago, before the um, relegation was decided, that it would be a uh, would uh, to to go down again. It would throw back Schalke uh, two years um, because they're losing um, so much money. Um, they they are, they still have very tight finances, and um, so I think they they. Don't uh, won't have the financial means um, to build a team where I, could, I mean you can't be sure to be promoted back to the Bundesliga. But um, I think it when it comes to finances may, might be a below top top three uh, club next season. But um, I'm, I'm, it's, it, it will be really fascinating, and I agree with you that the atmosphere around Schalke uh, right now. Is probably better than the situation of the club. Mm, okay. Uh, let's share a bit of insight uh, for uh, the new promoted sides then as well. Uh, Heidenheim, we talked a little bit about them in the last pod uh, and Darmstadt as well. But uh, Christoph, as uh, a aficionado of Bundesliga 2, <laughs> <laughs> I was forced. I was forced to be one for 11 years. <laughs> Uh, maybe you can give us a quick bluffers guide to both of these sides. Um, yeah, I mean, there have been talks about, and 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 we have a, a question connecting to this about this uh, dwarfification. Is that a, a kind of word mm -hmm. of of the Bundesliga? And actually, um, Darmstadt and Heidenheim are two small clubs, and you can see it by the. Uh, by the sheer size of the stadiums that they are having, they will have the two smallest stadiums in, in the Bundesliga next season. The one in Heidenheim will only hold uh, 15,000 people and in Darmstadt it's 18,000. Um, Heidenheim, we talked a, a bit about them. Um, this um, is a typical Swabian story and um uh, Swabian in that respect that very patiently over a very, very long time, uh, very clever and uh, locally uh, deeply connected people have built the club and uh, especially Holger Sandwald, the CEO and uh, Frank Schmidt, um, uh, the, the coach who's there since 2007 as uh, the head coach of the team. And it's it's really astonishing how they um, developed uh, uh, the club over the time. Uh, Darmstadt is a bit, uh, the story is a bit different. Um, they've been in the Bundesliga uh, three times before in 1978, one year in 1981, one year and then from uh, 2015 to 2017, uh, two years. And, and this time um, really kind of kick-started what, what, uh, the return of, uh, to the Bundesliga. Because at that time, it was a bit of a, a fairy tale story uh, when they came to the Bundesliga because 
Um, two years before, they had almost gone to the fourth level of, of uh, German football and uh, only stayed in uh, because um, one team was uh, refused to stay in the in the league and uh, the next season they went up to the <coughs> to the second uh, uh, bundesliga and then straight to the uh, to the bundesliga in 2015 and that was really kind of 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 the the awakening of of, of uh, darmstadt and um but that they are now going up is is very much uh, has very much to do with uh, coach Thorsten Lieberknecht, um, who is um, who got his fame at his uh, eleven years with um, Eintracht Braunschweig that he also brought um, from the second division to to the Bundesliga. And now he's he's working uh, two years in, in Darmstadt and manage it again, and um, and he is a bit probably so so he is a very down to earth uh, guy and he is counting very much on team spirit resilience and and so on, so uh, don't expect any star players, uh, just expect a very well organized team um, with a uh, strong togetherness and and I, I think it will be uh, difficult to get points at uh, Darmstadt and um, also uh, Heidenheim is not the team of star players uh, probably the best known is uh, Tim Kleindienst the, the uh, prolific goal scorer for them um, but uh, also he is not a big star and maybe you should take an eye on Jan Niklas Beste um, who took a long way to the Bundesliga. He was a youth player for 10 years at uh, Borussia Dortmund, but then um, they didn't uh, keep him and he was playing many years in the second division. And now he, he scored, last season he scored 12 goals and had 13 assists. So, um, yeah, but uh, two um, unspectacular, unspectacular uh, teams will be coming to the Bundesliga, and um, but interesting um, if they have a have a chance um, to survive. I don't know what you think. It doesn't doesn't uh, look like it, but then didn't look like it for this team from Berlin either, from the east. <laughs> so I'm going to be very careful writing them off too quickly. Either of them, but they will be relegation. Battlers for sure. Okay, Baska is asking via Twitter, uh, what's the money situation like and any thoughts on Hamburg? Well, two things that haven't really worked out this season, Sadio Mane and Hamburg's promotion push. Hamburg coming closer to being success than Mane, stumbling at the last hurdle in the relegation playoff against Stuttgart, beaten quite resoundingly 6-1 on aggregate but they've decided that everything should go on more or less as before Jonas Bolt the sports director and Tim Walter the coach very very close will be trying for another time in what will be Hamburg's fifth season in Bundesliga 2 that's a long time for a club this size but as we said with Schalke the situation seems to be that the supporters and the people at the club show a rare sense of unity and that they've all decided, okay, let's let's go again. There's nothing fundamentally wrong. Sadio Mane, I think Bayern considered this a mistake. Not all to do with him. I think they wanted to do something different when Robert Lewandowski left. They wanted to see if they can compensate through a different system with no center forwards, more of a sort of a Liverpool system where, yes, you have Firmino, but he's, he plays more as a, as a 10-9 and have different players take up different attacking positions, be very fluid, be very flexible. It didn't really work. And Sadio Mane, who was supposed to take everyone to another level, has not been able to replicate his form and... I think Bayern would be willing to listen to offers uh, for him in the summer. 
as they need to free up some money to buy real number nine. That's been one of the big lessons of the season. But I'm wondering um, if there will be actual interest in, in money because he, um, he played a very disappointing uh, season. I agree with you. He had injury problems. I think that also um, were important in that context. But um, he looked a bit like a problem child, at least with this uh, um, hitting um, uh, Sané in the face in the dressing room. So it's, it gives a bit of the impression of a unbalanced character and so on. But uh, do you think... Um, there will be clubs who would be interested to sign him and, and to sign him for uh, a, a, a big transfer fee. Maybe in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> the new Switzerland <laughs> with deeper pockets. <laughs> much, much deeper pockets, but similar tax regime, I would, I would think. Um, I think there will be a market for, for Saudi Mane. He's... If you look at his output, his numbers are actually not as bad as, as the narrative suggests, especially before he got injured, uh, just before the World Cup, he was he was scoring lots of goals. He was also scoring lots of goals from offside positions where he was very unlucky, just a meter here or there. I think he could have had six or seven more goals. So he is still a dangerous player, but he hasn't really done what Bayern have brought him in to do, which is to make up a big chunk of the Lewandowski goals. No one has, so it'd be unfair to just blame him for that. But of course, as the last one in, you often then the first one out again when things don't don't work. Um, yeah, let's see. I think Bayern, Bayern will hope that there's enough interest for him that they uh, can minimize their losses. But maybe they'll have to subsidize a move, which would be financially pretty bad. More Bayern questions or um, an, uh, a longer uh, letter from Tom Mansour. He, he's, he's writing to us. At the beginning of the season, Bayern couldn't break down a low block defense because they had no number nine. Nagelsmann compensated by flooding the attacking zone with more players going to a back three. And Bayern started scoring goals again, but they were very enormously vulnerable to a high press, as shown against Leverkusen. It seems to me that Tuchel is having to relearn the lessons that Nagelsmann learned throughout the first half of the year, because we are right back to not being able to break a low block defense again. That's all to say Bayern looks like an unbalanced team. They can, can either score goals by flooding the attacking areas, but uh, be vulnerable to a high press or uh, play a back four with two holding midfielders and defeat the high press, but then they are toothless in the final third. Goes to show how good Lewandowski really was. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, as always. I would have to look up the numbers, but... Julian Nagelsmann prided himself on actually counting, um, cutting out the counter-attacking situations. He constantly talked about the fact that Bayern in their second season under Flick were incredibly open. Now, I remember looking at the numbers. I mean, they were really all over the place in the second half, especially of the second uh, season of Flick. They conceded counter-attacks all the time, all the time. And they needed Manuel Neuer to, to save their, their backsides many, many times. I think the situation was better. The goals that they conceded have, have come from silly things like penalties that they conceded. One of the highest in the league, not as high as Bochum, of course. <laughs> Bochum uh, always top uh, in some <laughs> aspects of the game. But I think the, the problem wasn't so much the counterattacks. The problem was that Bayern needed to rely on players who all lost their form. If you play a game that is conditional on movement, on combining on one we ones to create space rather than going a more direct route and just putting crosses into a number nine or, uh, you know, taking shots from, from the box, then 
I think it's a harder way of playing football. It's a harder way to score goals. And too many players were out of shape, out of form, loss of confidence. And then the game looks very static and then nothing happens. And then you don't have somebody who just scores from thin air, like a, a proper number nine does with Lewandowski. So I'm not sure there's there was anything wrong with the, the grand scheme of things, but many small things didn't, didn't quite work. And it was clear that, as we talked about uh, on this pod, Nagelsmann idea, Nagelsmann's ideas and the teams often didn't seem to line up perfectly. And I think he didn't manage to convince everyone of his ideas and had the buy-in that you needed. Uh, it was little things often, but too many of these little things, I think, derailed Bayern's season. And Thomas Tuchel coming in, he solved some problems, but not all of them, and in the end got very lucky that Dortmund threw it away. But yeah, Bayern have basically answered your, your question or have, have decided that whatever you do, you cannot play without a, a number nine because it just, it gives you more of a guarantee. You can, you can play really well, but if your chances fall to players who are not as good as fin in finishing as a real number nine is, you still can leave the pitch with no goals very often. And they'd rather have somebody up there, even if it means perhaps that the players behind them are not quite as fluid and flexible and creative as they would be if you all draw it on a, on a map with everyone changing position constantly. But it's, it's a very hard thing to do in practice because uh, it often can just look like chaos and no organization. Um, I'd like to th uh, throw two more questions concerning Bayern at you. One comes from Keenan Robbins. Um, to what the, uh, extent does Manuel Neuer's absence play into Bayern's calamitous second half of the season? First question. And the other one comes from Apana, Apana Mishra. Um, and he is asking, did Bayern lose the motivation for the league this season right from the start they were up and down in the league but in the champion uh, champions league they just showed up till of course man city came along also did the world cup affect uh, bayern more than other teams since it is largely made up of german and french players and both these groups left the tournament with some scars i, I think you We, we already discussed this uh, World Cup uh, effect, um, but what what uh, and and we agreed that there there was a big World Cup effect for Bayern and and especially for these reasons because uh, the Germans and uh, the French came back with hanging heads, uh, especially the German players. But what about Neuer missing? And um, yeah, what? It's true that the, the the difference in the Champions League and in the Bundesliga was pretty obvious. It was obvious, but I think the results were better than the performances in the Champions League. They they had a few breaks. Um, I don't know if you remember the first game against Barcelona, Christoph, where Lewandowski missed so many chances in Munich. In the end, it looked like a very decisive convincing win, but Bayern got really lucky. Also in the Inter games, there wasn't really in it, uh, much in it, uh, and they scored a few individual wonder goals. So I think the results in the Champions League were a little bit better than the performances. So was it down to motivation? There's always an extra element of motivation in the Champions League when you're Bayern. And the, the real challenge, if you will, is actually to raise your games in the non-Champions League games at Bayern, when you know it's only Augsburg, it's only Bochum, it's only Hoffenheim, but you have to win, because if you don't win, it's a disaster, and a draw will be endless headlines and people looking for the floors. So Bayern in the last 10 and a half years out of 11 have, have coped with that pretty well. So it'd be strange if somehow in their 11th year somehow the motivation would drop or they wouldn't focus anymore. But yeah, maybe a few percentage points 
did make a difference. Yeah. Um, there are two more questions uh, that um, we partly have answered and, and not. Uh, out of Darmstadt and Heidenheim, who are you expecting the most out of next season? And uh, I think we we have both have our doubts that they uh, will be able to uh, stay in the Bundesliga. But uh, let's see if if they manage to uh, create their southern version of Union Berlin. And uh, and Alex Kangaroo. Uh, uh, so that was a question uh, via Twitter from Ben Boyd and uh, also uh, via Twitter, Alex Kangaroo asks, is there a big problem in Germany where large traditional clubs waste all their potential and get swept by small local sides? Feels like the Bundesliga is swarmed by small teams that don't generate much excitement for anyone. Could it hurt the product in the long run? Well, this is the dwarfification debate that we had a little bit earlier. I, I don't think it it hurts to have Heidenheim in the league as such. And I think the balance at the moment is, is okay. Uh, it was worse. We had, at one time, it felt like there was Augsburg, Ingolstadt, Hoffenheim. There were too many of those teams. I think now it seems okay-ish but of course a league with Schalke a league with uh, Hamburg a league with Hertha would create more excitement there is there's no doubt about it these are teams that have huge fan bases they have tradition they have stadiums they have away supporters that show up that you don't have to greet a handshake uh, each person <laughs> when they arrive um but that's that's the situation. I think we have to be careful because, of course, for those clubs and the fans involved, this is this is amazing, and we shouldn't be too snobbish and say to them, "Ah, you know what, you little clubs, you don't belong. You're ruining our product. We only want the big teams." But of course, you should have yeah a nice uh, balance, and perhaps next year it's tilting a little bit towards the smaller teams again. But I hope that it's only a, a temporary thing with big teams coming up, preferably next season, um, both Schalke and Hamburg and ideally Hertha as well, even though I think Hertha uh, probably will have a really hard time uh, going up next season with all the problems that they have financially. You'd, you'd actually hope that they don't go down further into Bundesliga 3 or below the way things are going for them. I, I wouldn't like to talk about ruining the product by, because still the Bundesliga is a sporting competition and uh, they they came there uh, because they were actually really good in in uh, in working on the sporting side of things. And, uh, and they weren't lucky. They didn't have the huge benefactor behind them who bought them in the Bundesliga. Um, they really uh, uh, they managed to uh, to do a fantastic job. So they belong to the Bundesliga, and and I think we will see um, that it will be actually fun uh, to watch football at Darmstadt next season because it's a it's a it's a traditional uh, football club. Uh, um, they have a su big support. There is a great atmosphere at the stadium and 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 so on. So it. It won't feel very dwarfish, at least um, uh, um, off the pitch, and um, <clears throat> and 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 I, I would, I mean, um, the I'm a bit more frustrated about having clubs like Hoffenheim and and uh, Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga, especially Wolfsburg, who are. Uh, not, not providing much for the product uh, because I mean they uh, they have almost endless means uh, in a way they can make a lot of mistakes and so on but nobody cares about them so um, when when you look uh, the numbers of spectators they have and uh, how often they have MTCs even at um, 
um, at uh, at big games, um, it's um, yeah, it's a bit frustrating that they are staying in the Bundesliga and and keeping a, a place there for such a long time. But uh, that is one of the mistakes the Bundesliga made some years ago when they allowed uh, Volkswagen to be uh, the owner of VfL Wolfsburg and uh, run the club. And um, uh, so um, they are not dwarfs. But but they <laughs> they add to the dwarfish uh, atmosphere a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, but but uh, I, I think we will we will have a, a lot of fun uh, with Heidenheim and especially with Darmstadt. And um, uh, but I agree with you. I mean, it would be fantastic to have Hamburg back in the Bundesliga or St. Pauli or. Schalke, Hertha, Nuremberg, and so, so on, that would uh, create a lot of excitement. Okay, that's a nice way to end the mailbag. Thank you, everyone, for writing in. Thank you also if you are a fully paid-up member of the Biani Supporters Club. We salute you. We thank you for your help. If you're not yet a supporter, please consider taking out uh, a membership. It really helps us keeping... Being honey on the road, we need 400-ish supporters to be sure that we'll be back next season. Please make it happen if you can. If, for whatever reason, we can't make it, then don't worry. You'll not be charged for the entire season unless we deliver. So um, there is no, no downside for you, only upside. And, of course, if you become an, an ultra, you can get a Bean Honey exclusive mug. If you take out the season ticket, I can recommend it. The mug is is perfect. Um, it holds cold and hot beverages. <laughs> and it looks great. It looks very good. We'll be back with our first part of the big beer and honey preview stroke review of uh, 2023. We'll be looking back at everything that's gone on, but also... Look forward to what has to happen, what needs to change, what might happen, what could improve and what could get worse for all the 18 teams plus the two newly promoted sides. That's going to start next Monday when Christopher and I will be back with that first part. Do tune in then. Thanks for your help and your support and for listening. I was Rafael Honigstein. And I was Christoph Biermann and we say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast.